Yesterday on the Lockdown NBA Big Board podcast, Leith Tulane dropped off his top 10 prospects for the 2023 NBA draft. And in this episode, we are going to round out the first round or his top 30. Stay tuned to see what surprises we have. And of course, Leaf is going to explain why there are some guys that he is higher or lower on than the consensus. And Leaf is one of the best in the business. So looking forward to this episode. Stay tuned. Number 21 for me is Maxwell Lewis, and he's another guy who's fluctuated from late lottery all the way down to 21, 22. Pepperdine, he's got the traits to score. He's really struggled down the stretch, but he didn't have too much help. Uh, I think he's a guy that you you may want to take a swing on and see what you can find in a 6'8 guy with point guard skills. Um, the appeal will be that he could be the next Jalen Williams, uh, Santa Clara Jalen Williams. I'm not sure because Jalen Williams was a tremendous athlete. Maxwell Lewis is twitchy as a, as opposed to explosive. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I think he's a guy that has tremendous value if he was available at this late in the draft. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've had him. I think I've had him as high as the lottery. He's in the twenties. Now one of my good friends is the agent and we talked about him and he was asking my opinion. And he said that every NBA team that he's talked to likes Maxwell Lewis, but he was like, I get the appeal, but I just don't like him as much. And he had mentioned that he went to a game and Brandon Pajemski absolutely like destroyed him. And he's like, I want to like Lewis better than Pajemski, but Pajemski is just outplayed him. And he's like, I just don't understand why that team has three guys that could potentially see NBA minutes at some point in their careers and they're so bad. All right, number 22. Number 22 is Rayon Rupert of the New Zealand Breakers, a French uh, tr- absolutely phenomenal athlete. He he's a guy that shot is not pretty. It's it's rickety, it's it's broken, but I think that can be improved and you have to buy traits with him. Uh, he's a guy that I've seen on uh, pretty big name guys mock drafts going very high. Uh, that said, I, I have my concerns about his shooting ability and how quickly he translates. Uh, but but I think in the long run he could be very good. Right now he's averaging six point eight points per game, and for the Breakers, seventy four percent from the free throw line, thirty one percent from three, thirty seven percent from the field. So not trem- not very good there. But he had a uh, wrist injury, so he missed a lot of time with a wrist. Injury. That is true. That is true. I don't know true. if it was a shooting wrist or not, but got to add that context. The one thing I'll say about him is Andre Jackson. Andre Jackson is 21 for UConn. Ryan Ra- Rupert is 18 and doing it in professionally, kind of a similar role. And that's kind of convinced my brain into buying into Rupert. Yeah, I'm actually supposed to meet him this weekend. He'll be doing his pre-draft training in Dallas. So I'll be able to get some content there. All right, let's go. Let's finish at 23, 24, and 25. So who do you have at 23, 23, 23, 24, and 25? I have a bunch of players that I think everyone likes right now on Twitter. Number 23 for me is Noah Clowney. I think that if he falls past this spot in the NBA draft, when it actually happens, I'd be very surprised because his arc 
is so coveted. He's a guy who is, in my opinion, a five. He is a he's a small ball five who can step out and shoot the ball adequately defensively. He's awesome. Rebounds the ball very well. Twenty four is Jordan Hawkins, who we've spoken about ad nauseum throughout this tournament because he's a phenomenal shooter, runs off curls at hairpin speed, has a, a extremely quick release and drains them. And I think he's got more on-ball creation and athleticism than many believe. I'm just worried about his actual height. I don't know if he's 6'5", as it's being rumored. I, I kind of think he's more like 6'3 and a half, 6'4". And 25 is a guy that most people are higher on than me, but weren't higher on him uh, to start the season than I was, and that was Jalen hood Shafino. I've had him 25 all year. Uh, he's shown awesome ability to get to mid-range and knock down shots. I don't know if I can see him as a true point guard. However, Indiana's, Indiana's system was a bit archaic. So you mentioned Indiana's offense is archaic. Like, Explain a little deeper with that. All right, before, before you explain, I had a parent... Um, who has a a a son that's looking to be in a transfer portal, right? And his game is basically suited for like ninety style NBA. So I was finding different schools that um, played this way, and I was just looking through synergy. And when Indiana was a school that came up, Georgetown <laughs> with Patrick Ewing. Um, it was another school where the, where the coach just got fired too. And, but anyway, so, and then I guess Providence. you could say, uh, was it Providence? You know what? It was Providence because I was like, their coach isn't there. And then Kentucky was another school. They all run <laughs> flex screens to get the ball to the post. And then they run their guards off pin downs. That wasn't, that was an easy guess right there. So is that what you meant by archaic? Yes. Yeah, so the reason that their offense in particular was archaic is they play through one player so heavily, and that's Trace Jackson Davis, and rightfully so. He was a first-team All-American. He was very good this year. But I think in regards to Jalen hood Shafino's draft stock, it made it very hard for him to show actual playmaking. He was good at scoring at times, but just as often when he would shoot his team into victory, he would shoot his team out of victory by by just shooting. You know, um, he could get to his spots, especially coming uh, right into uh, off of ball screens into eighteen foot jump shots, and he's absolutely money from there. He's probably the best mid range shooter in the class. But for those Kaysen, people who have him, who have Kaysen, him in the top ten, Casey shot fifty nine percent on mid range jumpers inside of seventeen feet. Okay, I, I can live with Kaysen <laughs> ahead of him. They do it differently, though. Kaysen yep. kind of gets to his own spot without the screen. Jalen comes off the screen and pulls. Yep. Uh, differences in offense there. But my point being is if people are going to take him in the lottery, like many mock drafts have, and I, I try not to look at many, but they're kind of unavoidable when you're just scrolling through Twitter. Yep. Uh, I would hesitate to put the ball and the keys to my franchise in his hands just because it's really hard to be a point guard that balances scoring and and facilitating. Not so many do it very well. And the way his offense at Indiana was was ran makes it hard for me to buy in his playmaking. Um, because even with a guy like Trace Jackson Davis, they didn't really connect on pick and roll, and that concerns me. But he does have ind individual talent for sure. So I just haven't moved him very much. I've had him about 25 all year. Interesting because I've had him 
I mean, he's he's went from like early second round to late lottery. Uh, he's in the twenties now. By any chance, do you follow Dean on Draft on on Twitter? Uh, I do not. My friend, one of my best friends, was telling me all about him. When we were at March Madness together. So he's one of my favorite follows because his takes are, I mean, they're all valid, but his his takes are just totally, totally totally different than the consensus like not even close and he did a sweet 16 the top the top prospects in the sweet 16 and he had a list of guys that were hard passes the thompson twins nick smith jr <laughs> and Jalen shafino and he says that um uh i mean he compared them to his freshman stats were comparable to malcolm brogdon um uh, brogdon as a freshman or brogdon as a senior as a freshman well, brogdon redshirted as a freshman of virginia it says if you compare his freshman stats to malcolm brogdon they are surprisingly similar except brogdon didn't go straight to the lottery he made massive improvements to eventually become acc player of the year two-time acc defensive player of the year while supporting an 87 percent free throw percentage then he went in round two and continued to make improvements over the course of his nba career as he is today. So he's basically comparing Hood Shafino to Brogdon and is trying to figure out why Brogdon went second round with similar stats and despite the fact that he had more accolades and why are some people thinking Hood Shafino is a first round pick? Can I respond just because I'm wearing a Virginia shirt just about basketball for, for Dean if he listens yeah. to this? First answer to your question here is Malcolm Brogdon was 23 when he was drafted. Second answer to your question here is they run a, a blocker mover offense, and that also is a bit archaic. The other thing is he didn't play point guard. London Parentes was one of the best assisted turnover point guards for four years straight at Virginia, and he didn't play point guard. Malcolm Brogdon's best skill coming into the draft was not his 87% free throw percentage or his impressive three-point shooting. It was his defense. He was a two-time defensive player of the year in the ACC, as you mentioned. Yep. Um, so I think they're completely different evaluations. Uh, I love Malcolm Brogdon, one of my favorite players in the NBA. I've always thought I could be a great NBA GM, and it turns out that it's not that easy, but it turns out that there is an opportunity that I can be in a game. And if you've ever had the same thought about being an NBA GM and managing your own basketball franchise, well, now you can do it at the Ultimate Pro Basketball GM, and you can do it right now. The game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise from playing through seasons and leading your franchise and your fans to glory as you build a historic dynasty. In the simulation, you are responsible for dealing with the challenging personalities from the coaches and the players, from hiring the coaches and the assistants, training and trading players, making draft picks, and navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs in multiple seasons. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world, the Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free. It is playable offline. You can go play on the go, and you can play when you want to. So you, as a Locked On listener, you will get a 100% free boost for your franchise when you are using the promo code Locked On in the game store. So make sure you check it out. To download the game, just visit probasketballgm.com, scan the code, or look it up on the app stores. That is probasketballgm.com, the ultimate basketball GM. So start your dynasty today. But, uh... 
to I have one question for you though that that I I don't know enough I don't hear enough from scouts. If if you were to hand the keys over and say you take them at twenty, so it's not like you're putting a top ten investment because it just feels like there's different weight to that, and you say we're going to ease them along, might we can live with inefficient nights. Do you think he can ever become a 17 a game score as well as like a seven assist guy? Or is he just going to be scoring? Well, one, I think it would totally depend on the team and the situation. And not comparing him to Emmanuel Moutier, but there was one year, I want to say it's 18, 19, where Emmanuel Moutier was averaging like 15 points a game. And then the next year when he played for the U- for Utah, it was like seven or nine points a game. And the next year he was out. So I can see a situation if it's not, and, and I want I don't want to say like Hutch Shafino is, is a guy that can help your team help trick fans into thinking that guy is really productive when he's just putting up really empty stats on a really bad team. So to answer your question, I do think there are certain situations he can put up those type of numbers but the question is, is he putting up 17 and seven on a team that's competitive or is he putting up 17 and seven on a team that is, you know, giving him the ball and pl- playing him 36 minutes a game and they're not going anywhere. I don't know. I think I could see both sides of it. I could see him being good on a good team and I could see him being someone that just puts up good numbers on a team that like, like a Detroit type team mm-hmm. where, you know, they're, they're playing guys and the guys are putting up good numbers to possibly help Detroit get their replacement. And I feel like Dallas did that with Dennis Smith, you know, his, his rookie year. He just, Hey, go ahead, get up your 15 points a game and excite people with, with these highlight real dunks and, and, and make them think we have some here, but you're, you're really helping us get your replacement so we can get you out of town. So that's the answer to my question. Hopefully I answered it correctly. I I agree with you. I think he's a guy that in draft workouts will move up the draft rather than down. Uh, I think film, because of the way Indiana plays, I think there's going to be a lot of people that say, oh, in an NBA spacing, he'll look great and he'll be able to pass as a, as opposed to when there's no one who can shoot on your team. So I actually think he he's more likely to go in the lottery than he is to go at 25 um, where I have him. But um, I'll be curious to see him play because, like I said, I liked him entering the season, and then I I now lowered in the consensus on him. Um, but a guy like Noah Clowney uh, for twenty three, just to touch on it, I I think Noah Clowney won't get to twenty three uh, either. I think th- these are guys that I, I I'm probably going to move Noah Clowney higher. I'm really high on Clowney. Yeah, and um, as far as Hood Shafino. I believe, at least when I go back to my notes, his passing, along with his size, was his greatest strength. That was the pill to him coming into the season. And I don't know if we really got a chance to see the playmaking. All right, 26. We kind of briefly talked about who you have at 26. Uh, 26 is is Jet Howard for me. So uh, he's a guy that I've had as high as 15, probably. Uh, had a really good start to the year, shoots the ball well. I mentioned that he uh, is a very good guy coming off pin downs and can f- come off of them and shoot it quickly. He doesn't rebound. He doesn't slide his feet on defense, but he is big. 
and I think that's his saving grace. So I think at 26, there's there's a chance he gets taken there and he can develop into something. I have him at 29. I spoke with someone a few hours ago about Eric Gaines, who weighs 165 pounds, if that, the, the point guard out of, out of UAB. And Eric Gaines averaged two rebounds more than Jet Howard. At Gaines is a good athlete, though. I mean, he is an incredible athlete, but 165 pounds, and he's getting – I mean, he, rebounding is like one of his greatest strengths. But it's like you look at him, and then you look at Jet, who has like the, the body. What is he, like 6'8", 215, broad shoulders, and he just does not rebound. That, that's a concern of mine. All right, who do you have at number 27? 27 is Terquavion Smith. There's a chance he moves higher. Uh, I I didn't mess around too much with my bottom of my of my first round. I watched him in Denver and he was amazing against Creighton. Scored thirty points. Was scoring when Kalkbrenner went in drop coverage. Was scoring when they switched different defenders onto him. Can score from all three levels. Had a poster left handed dunk. He's just so frail. Like seeing him in person. It was stunning. His calves are the size of of most people's wrists. Yeah, and I'm not even exaggerating for those. Yeah, of you I've listening. seen him. I saw him at the combine last year. He's he's a little dude, but he's and tough. My concern is: can he defend with that body type? Can he create enough offense against NBA caliber athletes? And just what team's going to give him the chance to be a microwave scorer? Because if they do, I think he can really be a microwave score. I just, I just have my questions about when, when he's that high. Like, like I, here's the question: Like, can can a guy who's probably 165, 170 pounds carry a second unit for significant amount of games in the season? You like Bones? I like Bones Highland, but we've seen that he's struggled, and part of it's the lack of physicality. And I mean, I, I I think on one hand, I, I've seen people compare him to Bones, and I see that. But the comparison that I've heard the most from NBA people is Jordan Poole, and I've and I've heard that he's a better pick and roll playmaker than Jordan Poole. You can do things with him out of pick and roll. While Jordan Poole gets a screen, you know, he's he's looking to shoot it every single time. I mean, I'm I'm biased, so I'm probably not the best person to ask. I have Turk like right outside of my lottery. Um, one of the things you, you constantly hear about Turquavion and is that oh he played for a terrible coach at NC State, right? It's the consistent thing you hear. And then I've heard people say, well, if he gets some real coaching, he's going to be going to be better. So again, I'm I'm biased, but I think that he can be your sixth or seventh man that brings instant offense off the bench. Yeah, yeah, I I believe he can as well. I mean, there's there's guys of that ilk that that have done it. Jamal Crawford wasn't a very big guy. Lou Williams was slender in his own regard. It, it's just hard to follow in the footsteps of two of the best six men ever. And and you know, Jordan Poole, you you mentioned that last year as, as a comparison. And I liked the the archetype of it. The question for me was, could he find a team with the freedom that, and the, the people ahead of him to allow him to discover 
like how what works for him in the NBA as Poole did with the Warriors because I don't think Poole would be Poole if he weren't learning from Steph. I, I think um, I mean of course it's, it's all about fit. Funny thing is, I was at a Mavs game and I was sitting next to a scout from well, actually he wasn't even a scout. He's like the director of personnel for for a team, and we were talking about and actually we were watching Mavs Warriors. So he was doing some free agent scouting and Poole was going crazy. And he said, man, I told he didn't have the same position that he has now, but he was like, I told my team to select him. And he was like, they thought he was absolutely crazy for wanting Poole in, in the teams. But he was like, he's wired to score. He can score. He has extreme confidence, but he was talking about the work ethic. Like he's going to to work and he even said golden state didn't know what they had in the beginning because they kept sending him to the g league and so it's kind of weird because it, i want to say like an 18 month period he went from the g league to like a hundred million dollars mm-hmm. and, and so i i think turquavion has some of the same traits people that i've talked to have all said like he is a bright kid he's a loyal kid um, they mentioned that after last year when he decided to come back to school, he could have went to almost any power five school in the country and taken big money to go play at, you know, some schools are offering big money, but he was loyal to NC state because I think they were like the first school that recruited him and they offered him a scholarship at 15. So everything I've heard is just like really, really high character, tremendous work ethic. And he has, he basically they were just saying that he's going to look better in a system may not have as much freedom where he won't have to take as many wild shots, but they're like, he's coachable and they think that he could play in in the NBA in different systems because again, he has some characteristic work ethic. He's coachable. Yada, yada, yada. All right. I buy it. But you know, I, you, you're talking about the guy that's driving the Turquavion bandwagon, and it has been for over years. So I may be a little bit biased. But let's talk about FanDuel because we are down to the final four, and we still have a few weeks left in the NBA season than the playoffs. And there's not a better place to get in the action than FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. And right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars. That is up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and sign up today to claim your no sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to the point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net. It's all on the app. It's safe. It's secure and easy to use. So do not miss your shot at a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up, make every moment more with FanDuel. So, all right, who do you have at number 28? 28 for me is Jordan Walsh. And I'll put a disclaimer here. I've had him as low as like 45. Coming into the year, I had him at 20. Mid-season, I had him at 45. Now he's up to 28. Uh, <laughs> his His type of player has been the exact same all along. It's just been how well Arkansas's played that accentuates how well he's played and kind of vice versa, because when he plays well and they, their team runs well, uh, I'm more impressed. Anyway, long story short, I say all that because he, he's known for defense. 
My concern is I don't think he's fast. I, I feel like he's a very intelligent. He's a hard worker. Uh, he knows where to be. And he's good on the ball at contesting. I think he's better at guarding bigger players, and that concerns me, than he is at guarding smaller players. Like, he guarded Jalen very well uh, in the tournament at Kansas, who's a good player, who's kind of relying on strength against most of the players, and he's faster than really big guys. But Walsh is good at contesting, but I don't think he can run with some of the guards. Uh, That said, I, I think a lot of teams really want wing defenders, and I think he's shown enough tape. Uh, in a high athleticism league in, in the SEC uh, to make it worth a gamble for teams at 28. Yeah, a couple of things I want to add. So I think I had Jordan Walsh as a first rounder, and then at one point I didn't even have him drafted. I was just like 2024. 20, like you don't have enough offense. Then, you know, I started to see the value in what he does. I mean, I've, I've, he lives in Dallas, so I've had a chance to watch him work out. I think I did some video work for him back during during COVID or whatever. So I've seen him work out. I've seen the competitive fire. And I do think there is a a role for him. The Jalen Wilson game was interesting. I think that game was a moneymaker for him because it was on a big stage. Everybody was watching. <laughs> but what I think a lot of people probably haven't really considered is they're both Dallas guys. And he knew his moves, right? They... Work I, out. I didn't think of that at all. <laughs> yeah, they work out. In Dallas, there's really like two trainers that, that all the top guys go to. Maybe a few like I've um like I mean at this particular Jimmy and Richard went went last summer. Anthony Black was there, Mike Miles was there. I know Jordan works out at the gym, but I think because it was during the summer, he may have, I don't know where he was at, but he wasn't there. Jalen Wilson trains there. So at any given day of the week during the summer you can see those guys mixed in with pre-draft guys from drew timmy and so on so as a person that lives in dallas and has been in those circles i was like he's really making him some extra dollars on this big stage defending someone that he knows really really well because they've played against each other a lot during the summer so um that's kind of a little insider insider there but i mean he's still um, you know, you still got to have the physical tools. Jalen had a tremendous year, but I do think there was a little bit of an advantage because he just knew his game. That 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 is interesting insight. I I knew they were both from Dallas, but I did not know that. Yeah, I mean it's it's <laughs> it's so many guys. I mean, Drew Timmy went against Mike Miles in in the tournament, and those are two guys that they trained together all last summer. So it is it's 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 a very interesting group. All right, number 29. It is a guy we just spoke about, Jalen Wilson. Uh, Jalen Wilson, I think, is a guy that best trait is rebounding. I don't think anyone ever values rebounding. I've gone on this rant before, but everyone talks about, oh, boy, what he can shoot threes. He's kind of big. He, he He's a three and D. He can rim protect. He can. He's got great vision for his size even if he's not playing with the ball. Like I said that about Derek Lively. He's a very good passer. But no one talks about just being able to rebound. And, and Jalen Wilson is an absolutely phenomenal rebounder. Now, he goes that, and gets the ball. Now, could that work against him? Because, I mean, I, I live in Dallas, right? So I, I see all the Mavs games. The Mavs get killed on the board sometimes. But on defense, it seems like everybody's job is to box out so Luka can get the rebound. 
and then they can run. So I do think that our teams, and we, we to me, I first saw it with Westbrook, how it was like, you know what? We can get into our offense faster because our half-court offense is bad. We can get into it faster if everybody just box out, lets Russ get the rebound, and then we can try to get some transition points. So I said all that to say this. I think there are teams that really don't emphasize rebounding, especially offensive rebounding. It's like, you know what, let's just go ahead and set our defense. I think in the playoffs, uh, those type of trendy the ways of getting your dominant ball hander the ball uh, kind of fizzle out and and kind of just old-fashioned go-get-it rebounding is really important. And he's the type of guy that impacts basketball games in a positive way, both on offense and defense. He's turned himself into a pretty good shooter, especially on catch-and-shoots. Uh, when that was his real concern, he's very good at driving, particularly to the right, but he's added a bit of, of kind of wiggle to his game as opposed to a straight line. And I think he's a pretty good athlete. He's older. He's a redshirt junior, technically. Yep. And uh, I, I think he's got a pretty good case to go in the first round. He's someone that I've been impressed with all year, both from the college basketball lover side of me, but also as the draft um, scouting, just what I think could be a guy that fits on a lot of rosters. Are you concerned about the athleticism at all? Uh, not really. I, I think he's a comparable athlete he's not going to be a uh, high flyer and upper division athlete but i but i think he's comparable to the nba players all right now who is last last is going to have a lot of people who's going to be upset with you when they find out that somebody that they were high on did not make your list so i'm trying to figure out who is (laughs) so so number number 30 uh is Chris Murray, I've had him as high as number 20, and I think he's a guy that if I watch another batch of film, which I will soon, uh, may move up. The thing about him that that holds me back is he's not a very fluid mover. Um, and, and he was best served as, you know, kind of shooting threes over small, uh, bigger guys who gave him space and kind of being bigger than smaller guys that would guard him and he he'd dribble in and kind of overpower them on an Iowa team that was very good offensively and very poor defensively. Uh, he was their best defender, him and Tony Perkins. I I think I'll move him up when I, when I watch him again, but, but I just, my eyes are telling me he's not very fluid and fluidity is something I really value in, in the modern NBA for the four spot, which is what I think he's best suited to play. Gotcha. That that makes sense. And I think if he falls to 30, he's going to end up going to a pretty good team that he could come in and off the bench and, and, and you know, provide value there. All right. So who is the biggest omission? Uh, for most people, it's probably Kyle Filipowski, who's that's, 31. That's what I was thinking about. And why does Filipowski miss your top 30? I He just hasn't moved the needle for me. I think he is... He's a guy that the shot looks good, but it hasn't fallen. Coleman and Hawkins. when you're when you're when you're a stretch four, that you, the ball needs to fall. Like it, it, you have to hit your shots. Um, so that that concerns me. And I also think that defensively, he tries hard, but his feet aren't super quick. And I'll just say this now: I have no inside knowledge, but I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back to Duke for a se- second year. I saw that. I I literally saw that maybe a couple hours ago. Um, I think was it Ryan Young announced that he was coming back? Yes. And, and then, Proctor, obviously. Yeah, and Proctor. So I saw someone 
posts uh, with the McDonald's guys, Duke's uh, probable rotation. And I was shocked to see that they had Filipowski on there. So uh, it, it does make sense. I don't know if going back another year really, really helps him a lot. But then again, it could because the class is strong. Well, big, big thank you for dropping off your top 30. Once again, thank you, the listener, for making the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. Now, for your second listen, you got to check out the Game to Game NBA podcast. Every moment, every top performance, every results, Locked On, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only we can deliver. So follow Game to Game on the Locked On NBA channel. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow. Leaf Tulane gave us his top 30. And we are out. Yeah.